This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, everybody, to episode 11 of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. Though that was actually almost put into question. We'll get to that soon. First, let's say hello to my co-host, Brian Kong. Hi, everybody. Hello, Brian. I'm Elon Dubrovsky. We've got a lot to get to this week. First, a couple quick things. If you're not following us on Twitter... You should be. You're missing out on a lot of great tweets that Brian throws out every big game night. So that's at Keeping Carlson on Twitter. Check it out. You could also tweet at us and ask us fantasy hockey questions, and then we'll answer them on the show. We'll get to that later today. Also, if you want to do us a favor, it's the holiday time, time to give gifts. The best gift you could give to us is a five-star review on iTunes. So log on to iTunes, give us a five-star review, helps us rise up in the rankings, I think. I don't know. I don't know how it works, but I think so. This is a fantasy hockey podcast, not an iTunes ranking podcast. Yeah, that'll be our next podcast that we make. (laughs) But okay, let's get on with the show. We have so much to talk about, so many players. But first, Brian, how is your team doing? My week is going really well. It started well, too. With my huge win last week, I was 9-1-3 in the matchup. I was able to put myself back in second place, and now first, second, and third are all within two points of each other, which is fantastic, and even better is that there's an eight-point cushion between myself and fourth place. So I'm starting to build steam, starting to keep my distance from the rest of my challengers, allowing me to have a bad week or, or make up for a bad injury, but luckily this has not been the week that that happens for me. With only one day left in the matchup and there's only two games being played that day, I'm leading 8-3. to I'm losing in the goals against average categories, the save percentage categories, and the plus minus categories. But two of those, I think save percentage and plus minus, I could come back and win tomorrow. The big performers for me this week have been uh, Tyler Sagan. P.A. Parento is back on track. He's not scoring goals, but he did have three assists. Eric Carlson also had three assists. And the one that I'm most proud of is is really been a thorn in my side for most of the season. But now that I put him back on my roster, David DeHarnay is doing really well. He has a goal. He just got the game winner on Saturday night. He has three assists, plus two, eight shots on goal, and two power play assists along with that as well. I'm really excited to see that. I thought he was slowing down, and still I'm not convinced that he isn't. He's probably one of the first guys I'll drop if I'm tempted by a free agent or if one of my own players comes off of IR. But I'm really happy with him right now, obviously. And Semyon Varlamov also had an excellent week. He had two wins, goals against average under 9, 95 saves, and a 941 save percentage. So with this big week, are you going to be in first place? 
If everything else in the standings stays as is, yes, I will climb into first place by maybe two or three points. Oh, boy. I will hopefully be taking back my rightful place in the pool. Speaking of rightful places, you're still in first in your pool, right? Brian, the Toronto Chalupa Batmans are steamrolling the competition. I'm still in first place, and I'm having an amazing week this week. Maybe my best week ever. I'm excited to talk about it. First, a little bit of sad news. The previous week, I don't know if you remember, I mentioned going into the recording that I was up 5-1-1. I ended up actually losing that week 4-3. That Sunday was just a disaster. I do remember you said that it all sort of hinged on Ben Bishop having a save percentage lower than 950, and we kind of chuckled like, yeah, right, that's going to happen. Yeah, well, Ben Bishop ended up getting a shutout, and so he ended up beating me in save percentage. Also, I was up in assists by a whole bunch, and then he only had three skaters playing. He had Jonathan Taves, he got two assists, Yuri Hoodler, two assists, and he had Ovechkin, who had a goal and an assist. So that was my rock bottom. I was thinking, oh my goodness, I just lost the week. I had also lost the previous week, so I was really worried that my team was in a slump and I wasn't going to be able to get out of it. But this week has totally helped me forget about all of those sorrows. My whole team is on fire. So I'm winning 6-0-1 right now, and it looks like I'm going to hold on to that win. The only thing I'm tying in is goalie wins. We each have three. I'll mention which of my players are on fire, and it is a long list. Fire them off. So Paul Stastny and Ryan O'Reilly, two guys who I was complaining about that they hadn't really done anything lately. Stastny burst out at the beginning of the week with a two-goal and two-assist night. So he had two goals and three assists on the week. Ryan O'Reilly had two goals and two assists. Eric Carlson, as always, four assists, including three on the power play. Andy Green on New Jersey yesterday had a huge night, and on the week he had two goals and three assists. Zidlitschke, two goals. Evander Kane came back from injury and got two goals and two assists in three games. Kyle Ocposo, goal and two assists. I could even go on. Like, pretty much the only player I had who didn't do anything is Phil Kessel, who only had one assist in four games, but I'm not too worried about him. That, that's a Leaf-wide problem, and we're, we'll talk about another Leaf who's been struggling later on in the show. Mm-hmm. And then also, Jake Muzzin didn't have any points this week. Aside from that, just all of my players are doing well. Tobias Enstrom even got a goal. You know things are going well when Enstrom gets a goal. Absolutely. So that is my week. I'm going to strengthen my hold on first place, which was potentially dwindling. Let's move on and talk about the moves that we've made. Did you make any moves this week? Yeah, I made two moves. And the first move I probably didn't really have to make... I picked up your worst nightmare and any Hartnell owner's worst nightmare come true. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, Mr. Raffle. And I've heard him called Raffle as well. Like rolling on the floor laughing? Yeah, like Raffle Copter. Okay. But the Raffle Copter has not really taken off since I picked him up. I picked him up because I got really excited. I saw him get a three-point game against Washington on the final day of last week's matchup, which would have made a difference for me. And I said, you know what, I'm not going to take my chances. I'm going to grab him right away. And of course, he's playing on the top line in Philly. And to get him, I dropped someone who's playing on the top line in Dallas that we talked about on the podcast over the last couple of weeks. That's Valerie Nichushkin. Nichushkin had a goal and an assist since I dropped him. And Raffle has one assist since I picked him up. So nothing really momentum swinging between them. I think it was probably a lateral move, an impulsive move. That's what happens when I'm watching games a little too closely. And it's the kind of move I try to avoid generally. But I think I'm okay 
I think they'll probably both even out to the same amount of production. I think it's a lateral move for the most part. Nichushkin is playing with two great players in Ben and Sagan, but so is Raffel with Voracek and Giroud. And so I don't really expect to get any huge gains out of that move. But the other move I made, I expect to get huge gains out of. I put Josh Harding on my injured reserve while he takes some treatment for his MS. And lucky for me, I can't believe he was even on the wire with the way he's been playing. Mark Scheifele. And this is, I think, the most proper time to say someone is flying under the radar because he is a Winnipeg Jet, right? Uh, that was that was pretty weak, but we'll just keep going through it. <laughs> Did you know that Mark Scheifele is on a five-game point streak? Is he now? Let me just look him up, and he's available in my league. Tell me more. Yeah, he's got three goals and four assists for seven points in the last five games. Did you know that Mark Scheifele has at least one point in 10 of his last 13 games played? No, I did not know that. Right, and neither did I. Totally missed it. But now you do. I figured it out. And I think if you are in a league with reasonable depth, you should go get him on your team as soon as you can. It is true that at one point this season, Scheifele went without scoring even a single point in 20 of 22 games played. That was a really rough stretch for him. But that was then, and this is now, that was when he was centering Matt Halishuk. Now he's centering Evander Kane and deserves a serious look. He picked up two assists in his first game for the Flamingos, and I look forward to many more happy days with him on my roster. Uh, So you're the Flamingos, right? Yeah, I'm the Flamingos. (laughs) I wonder if people think, oh my goodness, did he get traded? (laughs) Yeah, to the the Seattle. I think that'll be the new Seattle team's name. Okay, the Seattle Flamingos. But no, you are the Tokyo Flamingos? No, I'm just I'm just the Flamingos. Oh, I see. And that's all I did. So I guess I'm pretty happy with what I was able to do this week. What about you? I think something big went down in your league, didn't it? Yeah, okay. So let's get right to it. I made a trade. I made a huge trade. Huge trade. There's a guy in my league who owns a lot of Ottawa Senators. He already has Spezza, McCulloch, Zabanajad, Anderson. And he sent me a message saying, I want Carlson, I'd be willing to give Ovechkin. And right away, I dropped my no Carlson trade policy because I thought, wow, if I could get Ovechkin, that'd be a huge win for my team. I should point out that defense is heavily valued in my team because there's a whole category just for defense points. So I wrote back saying I'd be interested, but I value Carlson higher than Ovechkin. I ended up working out a deal. I get Ovechkin and Pietrangelo from St. Louis. And I give Carlson and Kyle Ocposo. And he accepted the deal. All right. So you turned a one for one. That was maybe, you know, I think that was even at worst for you, possibly better than even for you. And you turned it into getting another upgrade. Right. Well, yeah, I told him that I wanted a good defenseman back to make it worth it. And he was fine with getting Ocposo, who, to be fair, is having a really amazing year. For sure. And I have to say, my first reaction to this is sadness, because I don't want to change the name of our show. And I think we have something very special that we share in (laughs) common that gives us such a good rapport together. So what happened after it was accepted? Well, a few hours later, I got the message that it had been vetoed. A few hours? The trade happened at around 5pm that night. And by the way, I have to say, when I was clicking accept, because he's the one who ended up making the trade offer... When I was clicking accept, my heart was beating so fast. I was so nervous. It was like a moment in my life that I won't forget. (laughs) 
but I clicked accept. Then I'm like, you know, going through this rush, thinking about the implications, thinking about what I'm going to do, starting to think, oh, now I have three right wings. I'm not going to be able to keep all of them. Maybe I should think of a way to trade St. Louis. But before the night was over, yeah, it had been vetoed. Four people in my league clicked the veto button and it got turned around and I was not too happy. I'd be curious to hear what the listeners think, because obviously we're both a little biased. But to me, the trade sounds fair. If he wants Carlson and wants to give you Petrangelo as a slight upgrade on Ocposo in the process, along with Ovechkin, I say let him do it. So yeah, I was a little annoyed, but I'm not going to be a bitter Betty about it. Uh, my team is still doing very well. It would have been cool to have Ovechkin, but it's also cool to have the Keeping Carlson podcast, which, by the way, I should mention, we now own KeepingCarlson.com. So if you want to find our website with all of our shows and all of our show notes, that's where you go, keepingcarlson.com. I think it's important when you veto to share an explanation if it's not obvious. And I think that was the category that your trade fell under. I don't see the obvious reason to veto that trade. And I guess every league has a different threshold, however, for what they'll allow. Well, what I've been reading on Reddit a lot, and I tend to agree moving forward, is I think that you should only veto a trade if it's obviously collusion or if someone is clearly incompetent. And the guy I was trading with actually won the pool last year, so I wouldn't consider him incompetent. But, you know, let's move on. I did actually make a couple of moves, which I'm curious to get your thoughts on. I dropped Nick Felino and picked up Tyler Johnson, mainly because I wanted to have more games played in total for the week, and I think I got an extra game by doing this. I was deciding between Tyler Johnson and Tyler Ennis, who both looked reasonably good as free agents. You suggested I take Johnson, and he hasn't had a very good week. He had no points in three games, so I think he's on his way out. But, you know, I don't really regret the move. This is my roster spot that's just waiting for Henrik Zetterberg to come back, so it's all just playing around trying to get a couple of points, and obviously this week I didn't need the points that I lost from Foligno, so I'm not sweating it. I am thinking, though, maybe for this coming week to fill the void until... Zetterberg comes back, maybe should I be dropping Tyler Johnson and picking up Mark Shifley? Yeah, you know how high I am on him. I I love having him on my roster and your league isn't quite as deep, at least at forward. Uh, I still think he belongs on your team, especially in place of Tyler Johnson, who has only one point in his last six games. Yeah, you'd think playing with St. Louis, you would get some more, but for whatever reason, he's not getting any points. So yeah, I'm going to probably grab Shifley. Maybe I'll even do it as we record next time you start talking about something. The other move I made, and I did this just last night, and maybe this will annoy some of the listeners, because just last week I was talking about how Jake Muzzin was so great, but this week he did nothing, and I kind of like the idea of flipping around my defense to try to get a hot player, because as I said, defense is a really important category in our league. So I ended up grabbing Jack Johnson and dropping Jake Muzzin. So the way I see it, I started the season with Johnson, I traded him and Hurdle to get Tobias Enstrom, the guy who had Johnson ended up dropping him because he wasn't doing anything. And since he's been dropped, he's been getting pretty much a point every two games, which is slightly better than Muzzin has been doing. So I thought, why not bring things back to how they started? Yeah, he had five points after 30 games. But now in his last six, he's got four more. And your league is really deep on defense. So I guess that sounds good, at least in the short term. Don't expect it to keep going. Well, so I have Dennis Weidman, first of all, on the IR. So at some point, I'm going to be getting him back. Also, I don't see Jake Muzzin getting picked up right away, just because, you know, he had an off week. So I'm constantly monitoring, but I'm happy to have Jack Johnson back because at his best, he's a pretty good offensive defenseman to have. I believe last year or the year before, he was a solid 40-point guy. 
That was actually not last season, not the one before, not the one before. It was in 2010-11. He had 42 points. Okay, well, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy with the move. And that's all that matters, except until you lose. Right, yeah. Well, do you really think that I hurt myself there by dropping Jake Muzzin for Johnson? Another defenseman available was Jonas Brodeen. Oh, and Jared Spurgeon. Would you rather have one of them? No, I wouldn't, especially the way the Wild are scoring lately. And again, we're we're going to get into that too as the podcast moves forward. All right, well, let's not waste any more time. Let's move forward. There's a few players we wanted to talk about. Brian, tell us about James Van Riemsdyk. Okay, well, we alluded earlier to Phil Kessel not being the only Maple Leaf that's struggling. And James Van Riemsdyk has just two points in his last eight games played After producing consistently all season long, save for that short stretch where he was being used at center, but he's been on my roster and has been a dependable guy all season that I can count on to contribute to like four categories or more. So the last stretch has been hard for me and all his owners. The whole Maple Leafs team, though, is suffering regression, and Van Riemsdyk is actually not quite its its biggest victim. He's still putting up between three and seven shots on goal in virtually every game, And his shooting percentage is now at a reasonable level, which tells me that it's only a matter of time before he gets going again. Might just be a little bit of bad luck or just evening out good luck from earlier. But the slumping James Van Riemsdyk is not the real James Van Riemsdyk. And he'd be an excellent guy, maybe even to target for a trade right now. Ah, a Bilo candidate. Ah, you know the lingo. Of course, I do a podcast. I'm a professional fantasy podcaster. And another player of note, or should I say players of note, or should I say position of note, is the goaltending position for the Detroit Red Wings. Jimmy Howard, we'd had questions about him several times over the course of this season. He's been inconsistent at best, and then he got injured in practice on December 11th. And I'd actually mentioned several weeks ago, while Howard was struggling to find his game, that Jonas Gustafsson's Excellent performances that he had had so far had put him in a good spot to take advantage if Howard stumbled. So this was more than a stumble. Howard is out. But since Howard has been out, Gustafsson has been a mess. He's picked up two wins, which is his saving grace, but he's been pulled once. His goals against average is 3.75, and he's stopped barely 84% of the shots he's faced. Oh, man. Yeah, and I guess we probably shouldn't be too surprised because these numbers, they're terrible, but they're much more in line with what he's shown over the course of his NHL career than what he had over the course of this season so far. So Howard's out. Gustafsson is struggling. What do you think this means, Elon? Are you going to suggest to go for the third string goalie? Yeah, exactly. His name is Peter Mrazek. He's a fifth round draft pick back in 2010. He put in a strong junior career with the Ottawa 67s, and he put in performances that were good enough that people learned his name from them when he was with the Czech national team. And he has excellent numbers so far for the AHL's Grand Rapids Griffins. Now, his pro sample size is still very small. Over parts of five games in the NHL, he's put up a very respectable 1.71 goals against average and a 9.27 save percentage. Again, small sample size, but we've seen other goalies this year with small sample sizes, continue at an amazing rate. Martin Jones, for one, it seems to be the year of the backup or even year of the third stringer. And that, to me, is encouragement to maybe give Mrazek a shot. I would be surprised if the Red Wings 
didn't take this chance to give him some playing time because he is likely to step in as their full-time backup next season once Gustafsson's contract expires. Interesting. And while you were saying all of that, I dropped Tyler Johnson and picked up Mark Shifley. What a, what a fantastic multitasker you are. Thank you. All right, Brian, I have a question for you now. I wanted to ask you about Nathan Horton. So he plays for Columbus, but he's been injured all season. He's never even played for Columbus, but he's scheduled to be coming back soon. I want to know, is he someone that people should be grabbing from their free agent lists if he's still available? I mean, it depends on who the worst player on your roster is, who you'd be giving up for him. I wouldn't rush to him. I feel like his name might have a little more value than it actually carries. Going back to early in his career, he's always been sort of a heralded prospect. He had 47 points in his first full season. Then he had seasons of 62 points, 62 points, 45 points in 67 games, 57 points in 65 games. Yeah, that sounds really great. It does all sound really good. But if you look at the last two years, over the course of that span, he hasn't been quite as impressive. You could say two years ago with Boston, when his season was shortened by injury, he had 32 points in 46 games. But his shooting percentage that season was about 5% higher than it was the two previous seasons. So you might say he was benefiting from a little luck during that stretch. And then last year, he put up only 22 points in 43 games, which puts him just about at half a point per game, which, as you know, is pretty much my threshold for who is even somewhat valuable in a depth league. He's also coming back from injury, you know, almost 40 games into the season, maybe more depending on when exactly he comes back. So he's going to have to take time to get up to speed. He hasn't played. He's in a new team, learning a new system. So I would not rush to pick him up unless you feel really strongly, unless your gut really says so, that he's going to be an impact player right away. I would let other people make that mistake. And perhaps the person they drop to pick him up will be someone more valuable than him that you can add on your team. All right. Another player I want to ask you about is Dustin Penner. He was playing on the top line on Anaheim and everyone was grabbing him. He was doing amazing. All of a sudden I see last night he was a healthy scratch. Is he a snoozer? Do we need to be dropping him from all of our rosters? Thankfully, I don't have him on my roster, but do our listeners need to be dropping him? Yeah, well, we covered him, I think, was it two weeks ago or three weeks ago? And we said, as long as he's on the top line with Perry and Getzlaff, he'll be okay. And obviously, when he's scratched, he's not on their line, and that's not okay. And I guess maybe Penner was on a short leash. I mean, he had one point in his last six games. And maybe Bruce Boudreaux was watching for that and waiting for it to happen, waiting for Dustin Penner to slow down to give him a reason to replace him with someone else. And I'm actually glad you brought this up because that someone else is somebody that I was going to talk about later on in the show. But why not right now? It's Kyle Palmieri. He's the beneficiary of Dustin Penner apparently falling out of favor in Anaheim. Palmieri, I think a lot of people know his name. He was a sleeper candidate coming into this season. He was coming into his third foolish season with a good pedigree, expected to break out, and he started out the season as like a middling producer, which isn't great, but then he fell completely off after a 16-game stretch in which he scored just two assists, no goals, and he was a plus player during that stretch only one time. And on a pretty good Anaheim team. Yeah, exactly. We've we've gone through a lot of the players who have succeeded so far for Anaheim, including Nick Benino. I mean, Getzlaff, Perry, the two obvious ones, Matthew Perrault as well. But look at Palmieri now. He's getting ice time with Getzlaff and Perry, 
And suddenly, surprise, surprise, he has five points in his last four games played with two goals, three assists, and a plus four rating and 11 shots on goal. He actually just tied his season-high six shots on goal in Saturday's comeback win versus the Islanders. And as we said when we talked about Penner, it doesn't much matter who skates on the Ducks' top line. They're likely to produce just as a result of playing with two elite players. And as long as Palmieri's up there, He'll be producing, and maybe this will be the jumpstart to the season that we were actually expecting from Kyle Palmieri. Even if he doesn't stay on the top line, he's supposed to be talented enough to be able to do this sort of thing, maybe not at quite the same rate, but to do a little more than what he was doing on his own. And the Ducks do have several talented players for him to play with. Maybe it's just a matter of getting his confidence up and having him feel good and getting a couple good games of production in so that no matter where he plays, at least he'll be a somewhat relevant fantasy producer. All right. And then what about Penner at this point? Would you say try to trade him while you still can? I don't know. I don't have a really great read on Anaheim's situation right now. But if you want to get a great read and someone who will know the answer is Eric Stevens. He's the beat guy for the Ducks. You can find him on Twitter at Iceman Cometh. So you're telling our listeners spam tweet at Iceman Cometh to find out if you should be keeping Penner or not. Yeah, I guess so. Instead of blowing steam, I'm going to just suggest you talk to somebody who specializes in this topic. All right, so let's move on to some questions we've got, both from Twitter, at Keeping Carlson, and from the Fantasy Hockey subreddit. Let's start with Reddit. DopeyJFK asks, what to do with Lunkvist? Is he a good buy low? So that's, I guess, the question right now. I guess when you say buy low, it's relative, because he is Henrik Lunkvist. But is he someone you should be looking to grab now for cheap? Or is he someone, if you have, should you be trying to get rid of him before he gets even worse? It would take a whole lot for me to get rid of Henrik Lundqvist. If you're not getting a top blue chip prospect or younger player in return for him, I would hang on. I think his problems are more reflective of the Rangers' problems as a whole than they are of himself. And hopefully they'll sort it out. I mean, they're 3-5-2 and two in their last 10, which isn't great. And I think defensively, they're still trying to figure it out. I read, maybe it was Elliot Friedman in an article recently, he mentioned that Vino, as a coach, tries to get more offense out of his defensemen than John Tortorella did. And maybe that's a small part of Lundqvist's issue. But if you can buy low on him, do it, especially if you're not trying to contend this year and you have time and space to let the Rangers find their groove. But if you are thinking of trading him, you better get back something really, really great in return. Okay, so it sounds like your advice is more geared towards keeper leagues because you're saying, you know, you have to get a good blue chip prospect. But do you think, let's say, going into the playoffs for this year, and of course, I mean the fantasy hockey playoffs, the last few weeks of the regular season, as opposed to the real NHL playoffs, would you want to have Lundqvist as your main goalie going into the playoffs this year after the Olympic break? For that, maybe I'd be a little scared. I think it's hard to say because who knows where the Rangers will be in the standings that might affect the sort of production they have. But if you look over his career last year, 926 save percentage, before 930, 923, 921, unless you're getting a goalie with the same sort of history or pedigree as Lungfist, I wouldn't risk it. Next question, sticking with goalies, Fantasy Hockey Guy asks, the deal with Holtby, is he done? So clearly Fantasy Hockey Guy is referring to the fact that Holtby has been quite horrendous over the past couple of weeks. So he's only started in three of the last seven games for the Washington Capitals. In those games, he has let in three goals, five goals, and five goals. He has not had a save percentage over 870. 
So he definitely hasn't inspired the coach to put him back in. What do you think, Brian? Is Holtby still the number one goalie on Washington? Or do you think that maybe for this season, he's no longer considered the best one and Grobner is the one to grab? Actually, Elon, I think it's pronounced Grubauer. But of course, I have my own troubles with that sort of thing. But again, done, like you said, is a strong word. And it's hard to say if Holtby's lost his number one job because the number two has been injured, Michael Newberth, and he's coming back soon we think. And so we don't really have a great look at what his competition is. In the meantime, the third stringer, Grubauer, has played very well. He's picked up a win in four of his last six appearances so far this year. His save percentage has been under 941 only once. So in the short term, I think he has shown to be the Capitals' better option. They're not committed to Holt the long term. And it's kind of strange because he's got a start gearing up if he wants to sign for a big contract. He does have a small sample size for a goalie, so it's hard to say. But looking at all his experiences before Elon, the time, the games that you just mentioned, I would suggest that he's not as bad as he's been lately and that there is room for him to improve. He will be challenged by Neuwirth when Neuwirth is healthy again. And that's something to be concerned about. I wouldn't rely on Holtby to be my number one A option. But I think it's a stretch to suggest that he's done just over a little slump lately. Let's do one more question from Reddit. R. Kirks, who is the manager of the Kirktown Killers, he's in a one-year league, goals, assists, power play points, plus minus shots on goal and penalty minutes. He basically asks, pick two among Pacioretty, Ryan Johansson, Gabriel Landeskog, Marion Gabrick, and Alex Semin. So Brian... I'm sure you spent a long time analyzing this question and trying to figure out who are the top two of this amazing group of five. Who do you got? As of today, and as listeners of our podcasts might guess, I would choose Ryan Johansson and Gabriel Landeskog. Pacioretty has been hot and cold so far this year. Although he is starting to get better, I just haven't seen enough from him to be sure that he's going to keep it up. Gabrick, we have the luxury of knowing now that he has a broken collarbone, which is very sad. It was his first game back after missing a ton of time already, so I wouldn't pick him up. And we've extolled the virtues of Alexander Semin on this podcast before. We talked about how it might be a problem with the Hurricanes more than it is with him. I expected him to really get going once he came back from injury. It hasn't happened. In his four games back, he has just one assist, although he is putting plenty of shots on goal. I think he's someone to really keep an eye on, and by the end of the year, he might be the guy to choose. But from what we've seen so far, I think Ryan Johansson and Gabriel Landeskog are the two best choices. And Elon, your favorite person in the whole world, Rob C. He has a question. Yeah, he listens to the podcast. That's exciting. Uh, He wants to know, Shane Doan, how bad is Rocky Mountain Fever? Oh, man. So first of all, Rob C., I just want to say that I thought you did amazing on Survivor Amazon, and you should have won. But to answer your question, I just searched for Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, and the Wikipedia page tells you a lot about it, and it's not looking very good. I mean, like, this picture is disgusting. (laughs) And aside from that, I mean, I don't really know what you want me to tell you. It was first recognized in 1896 in the Snake River Valley of Idaho, and was originally called Black Measles. But yeah, to answer your question, I don't know what's going to happen with Shane Doan. I don't think anyone does at this point. It's really bad luck for him, for the Phoenix Coyotes, for any of his fantasy hockey owners, for his family. So just hopefully he'll recover quickly. Let's move on to a question from Twitter. Another pick two, this one from at Endepression9H. He asks, pick two of these forwards, Nishushkin, Clark MacArthur, 
Patrice Bergeron, Chris Stewart. Head-to-head points league. Well, of these two, I think Clark MacArthur is the obvious choice. Listeners to our podcast know that I am his owner in my league, and Elon is his former owner, regrettably former. Uh, So I would take him right off the bat. And then for me, it's between Chris Stewart and Patrice Bergeron. Chris Stewart has gone nuts lately, right? He has 10 points in his last six games, which is not quite sustainable. I think he's a better player than his point total showed before he went on this run. But I would pick him up while he's still running, see how long he carries this for. And then as he starts to peter out, I would pick up Bergeron. If he's worried that Bergeron is going to be gone by that time, I might even take Bergeron now over Stewart. So I would take MacArthur and Stewart and then swap for Bergeron soon. Or if he's nervous about Bergeron, take MacArthur and Bergeron right away. Brian, I have a crazy thing to say to you. I wonder, are you potentially snoozing a little bit on Clark MacArthur? He has one assist in the last seven games, and he's playing for a slumping Ottawa Senators team. Sure, before the stretch, he had a hot streak, but isn't he sort of known to be a streaky player during his career? Yeah, you know, Elon, you've got a valid point there. But like you said before that, he had 25 points in 30 games, and I'm not about to give up on him. He's still putting a lot of shots on net. His shooting percentage is not abnormally high. There's a lot of things that tell me I think he'll get back to doing that once the Senators figure things out. And of course, they're really struggling to do that right now. As for being a streaky player, I think playing with Ottawa might be the first time in his career that he's being used consistently in a role in which he excels. If you ask any Maple Leafs fan who's into, you know, the underlying statistics and fancy stats about how Randy Carlyle used him back in Toronto, they'll just shake their heads and say they knew he could do this then and he was never given the proper chance. Back when he was in Buffalo and Atlanta before that, he sort of had those roles, but never consistently or on a quality team. But in Ottawa, he's got Kyle Touris to be paired with and sometimes Bobby Ryan. Maybe, Elon, in a week or two, you'll be proven right. But for now, I'm not ready to give up on him. Hmm. Okay. Well, if I could give advice to end depression, and probably you should listen to Brian because he's better than me, but I'd probably go with Patrice Bergeron and Chris Stewart right now. Maybe just watch Clark MacArthur and wait for him to pick up before you grab him. But that's just me. You know, it it's four players who might end up being pretty close from this point of the season up until the end. So I don't think he can really go wrong between those four. Personal decision, you know? Okay, let's move on to our patented snoozers segment where Brian tells us who's someone you may have on your roster and not realize he's not doing anything and you should consider dropping. Brian, who do you have this week? It's not who I have, it's what I have, and that is egg on my face. And I'm going to say on our faces because you were complicit in this last week, (laughs) and I stand by a lot of what we said still. And I think maybe we just were unlucky. But last week, man, we we got a few things. I think we might have woken some guys up to over-exaggerate our influence on hockey. Let's start off with Mark Streit. Since we recorded, he's gone on a four-game point streak with two goals and three assists and a plus-six rating, one power play goal, six shots on goal. He's even got three blocks. Okay, that's not a lot for four games. But the point is, he's everywhere on the score sheet. Timu Solane, three-game point streak, one goal, two assists, plus three, four shots on goal. Brian Little, well, he scored in his next game after we talked about his regressing shooting percentage, and then he's got nothing since, so I can sort of exhale about that. Pascal Dupuis, we talked about a couple weeks prior. He's got points in six of his last seven, three goals and three assists. 
with three or more shots on goal four times in that span. And finally, we never labeled him a snoozer, but somebody asked if I would choose Martin Jones or Ben Scrivens last week. And I pointed out that Scrivens was the one who was facing the tough competition and Jones was getting the easier games. And sure enough, the Kings were playing Chicago, Scrivens started, and he lost. Since then, he hasn't played. Jones has won the next three games, giving up only three goals, making 81 saves, 964 save percentage, and even a shutout. Jones, he's now 8-0 with a goals against average of less than one. He went undrafted in real life and in most of our fantasy pools, and he's a game changer right now. So I do have to adjust my answer. And I, I read an interesting point also, I think, from Elliot Friedman, saying that this might have to do with Scrivens's contract. He's losing leverage by Jones playing so well, and perhaps this is part of the Kings' long-term plan is to give Jones more of a look so that Scrivens has less of a body of work to build upon when it comes time to negotiate his next contract. Oh, sneaky. Yeah. So with all those, you know, I, I won't call them mistakes because I still think in the long term will be proven right. With all those, let, let's still consider, I think we were still right about Brodeur and Nathan Gerby, Martin Havlat, Michael Bourneville, Sean Monaghan, Corey Conacher. Those are all guys we've mentioned in the segment. And of course, we're, we're starting to dig a little deeper. So I still think we're doing pretty well. If anybody else wants to take a shot at a snoozer, feel free to send us via Twitter or email. I'd love to hear. All right. So sort of a snoozer apology segment. Though maybe some people are disappointed that you didn't name some snoozers this week because those would be people they should pick up because they're going to heat up soon. Oh, good one. So that about does it for our show. But of course, we're going to finish off with the classic Brian Com lightning round. 30 seconds per player. Give her... Well, Dwight King has been making the most of his time on the Kings' top line. He has six points in his last five games. He's playing alongside Anze Kopitar and Jeff Carter, so I don't think you can give his skill a whole lot of the credit, although, of course, it takes some skill to do what he's doing. Don't expect him to do it on his own, though, if he ever ends up on the third or fourth line again. As a short-term option, he's good to look at, but please keep an eye on his line mates using either Dauber Hockey's Frozen Pool or Left Wing Lock. I like how his name is King and he's on the Kings. Good analysis. <laughs> Next, Charlie Coyle. We've seen a pretty disappointing season from him so far. He got injured in the second game of the season, but he came back a month later, put up six points in nine games played right after he came back. Since then, however, in 14 games played, he's got two goals and one assist. Just three points. He's taking more shots than he was last year when he showed promise as a rookie, but that's been negated by his shooting percentage, which is pretty much half of what it was then. Now, his team's shooting percentage with him on the ice is quite low at 6.8%, although that's actually right in line with the Wild's shooting percentage as a whole, no matter whether he's on the ice or not. And of course, owners of any Wild player, like we talked about earlier, and also Miko Koivu and Zach Parise, who are Coyle's line mates, they're feeling it too. And I guess this tells me it's not really a personal problem. It's a team problem. The Wilds are only ahead of the Sabres in goals scored. They're 29th overall, tallying barely two goals a game on average. When they get going, so will Charlie Coyle, I think. He's centering two elite NHL players, and he's seeing a fair amount of power play time and favorable zone starts. Chances are he's not owned in your league, but he is someone you'll want to have on your watch list. Once you see him string a few good games together, I suggest you consider grabbing him then. Actually, funny story about Charlie Coyle. I was looking at him at one point, but he was only right wing eligible on ESPN, and I don't have any room at right wing. 
but he was playing center all the time. So I actually wrote to ESPN Fantasy and asked them why he's not center eligible. And they wrote back saying, okay, we've made him center eligible now. So for all of you people who wanted to grab Coyle at right wing, you're welcome. But as Brian say, he hasn't exactly lived up to expectations and I never ended up picking him up. But yeah, it's an interesting player to keep an eye on since he does play on this great line. Brian, do you have any more? Yeah, I have one more, but I'm going to let you take this one. Andy Green, you championed him a couple weeks ago, and I said, eh, probably, but probably not. And what's happened lately? Okay, well, Andy Green. So at one point, I had Jake Muzzin for the first time, and I decided I wanted to have an upgrade on defense by dropping someone who was playing three games in a week and take someone who's going to be playing four games the next week. And I saw Andy Green had been hot, and I grabbed him, and ever since, he's pretty much become one of my best defensemen. So, yeah, let's look at this guy. In October, he only had three points. He wasn't visible at all. But all of a sudden, in November, he picked up 10 points in 15 games. Now, in December, so far, he has seven points in 10 games. Who is this guy, right? Plus, he's playing on the power play. A lot of his points are coming on the power play. Like I said, just yesterday, he had a goal and two assists two power play points. I feel like at this point, Andy Green might not be available in your league. He's owned in 99.5% of leagues on ESPN. But if you could grab him, I mean, just based on what he's doing now, I think he's doing well. I'm sure Brian could give some analysis to tell me that I'm wrong. Oh, his shooting percentage is too high. His PDO is really high. Uh, His history is not great. But at this point, I'm not planning on dropping him. Well, Elon, you're right. His shooting percentage is really high. It's almost double his career average, and it's better than anything he's ever put up. The closest he got to this, he's at 9.7% shooting percentage. The closest he's ever had was 7% back in 09-10. And as for his PDO, he has a low PDO. It's Well, it's not very low. It's just a touch under what we'd expect. So I won't say that PDO is an issue, but I will say that yes, Shooting percentage and career history would be the markers for me, but I'm I'm a convert, at least in the short term. By all means, go grab him. Well, that does it. Another week of keeping Carlson in the books. I hope everyone has come out with some ideas of how they'll be able to improve their teams. Brian and I are both in first place, or Brian will likely be in first place after this week. So if you listen to us, you can be like us. Another way to be like us is to follow at Keeping Carlson on Twitter. Both Brian and I follow it. Also, you could email us at keepingcarlson at gmail.com. We will answer your emails. We'll give you fantasy hockey advice. Sometimes we'll say it on the show. And as always, I want to ask you, please, if you want to give us some five-star reviews on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it. And thank you to those of you who have already given us a five-star review. We really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Brian, thanks very much for joining me. Thanks, Elon. And also, thank you to our friends over at Hashtag Hockey, who gave us a shout out on their podcast. We've actually tweeted out a link from them before. They do some excellent writing, or should I say he does some excellent writing on the Minnesota Wild and talks about more than that on his podcast. So just go check it out. Hashtag Hockey. Yeah, and that's it. Let's cue that outro music. See you all not next week. We're taking a week off for the holidays. We will catch you in two weeks with a full analysis of the previous two weeks of fantasy hockey. So have a great time. Have a great, uh, a great holiday. Good luck, everybody. <laughs>